Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is the 1st of January 2024. The time is 7.03 a.m. and you're listening to Daniel Zia and Imam Usman Manan live from the South London studios of Voice of Islam. Uh, first of all, uh, a very happy new year to all our listeners. Um, it is the dawn of another new year. Today, as I said, is Monday, the 1st of January 2024. So we wish our listeners a very happy, healthy and prosperous new year from all of us here at The Voice of Islam. Um, as is the norm, we have brought two topics for you today. So the first one is about the psychological effects of the war on Palestinian children. And then we shall talk about, um, at about um, 8.20 a.m., we will talk about New Year's resolution tradition and what does Islam say about uh, resolve and commitment. And we shall also talk a little bit about uh, how we Ahmadis uh, start our uh, New Year. And on that note, um, Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you and a very warm welcome, Imam Usman Nanan. How are you? Jazakallah, thank you. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, um, it's a um, it's a pleasure being here with you. First of all, likewise, and uh, also uh, a happy new year to you and all the listeners as well. Thank you. Um, this new year, uh, I think, just to start off, um, uh, just right now at at the morning prayers as well at the Fajr prayer, uh, it was a there was a, so many people there. Yeah. Uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community starts the new year by offering the the Hajjad prayer, which is the the pre-dawn prayer, mm. uh, and uh, there was uh, a, a unexpectedly, uh, I think, a huge number of. Uh, there was actually, there. Uh, you know, there was a queue outside London Road today. Really? So at five forty-five a.m., um, our listeners, some of our listeners, would be surprised. There was actually a queue of cars. There was a, there was a bit of a traffic jam oh. on the London Road. <laughs> And I was stuck in that jam, so I know that oh. <laughs> uh, myself. So, uh, and and all of the cars were actually turning inside, mm. so they weren't going to any other party. And I think yeah, that's exactly the point that you are making as well. We in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community celebrate the new year slightly differently from the rest of the world. And as yeah. you as you pointed out, uh, literally thousands and thousands of people um, today turned up at the mosque and many other mosques, I dare say, all around the world. And uh, instead of going to parties, we start off our new year uh, by praying 
by offering these pre-dawn, early morning uh, prayers, uh, which are not compulsory prayers. Um, and then we offer the uh, the dawn prayers as well together. And, and then, um, as we shall also be talking about in the second segment as well today, what many members of the community, especially the youth association does, is goes out and cleans up the street from all uh, from all the debris that has been scattered by the party goers and uh, left behind by them. So, uh, so for anybody listening out there, this is how we in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community worldwide celebrate our New Year. And on on this note, let me welcome. Uh, our third presenter today, who is uh, none other than uh, Mr. Kayum Rashid, whose voice will be a very familiar voice to you all. Jazakallah, brother Daniel. Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you, and thank you very, very much, brother, for joining us. Uh, thank you for, for having me this morning. Peace be on you, both of you, brothers, and uh, wishing you uh, a fantastic, blissful, um, peaceful uh, new year. Thank you, and you. Um, and, uh, you know, one hopes and prays that uh, the way we've ended the year, um, it improves drastically, swiftly, with the way the world events are happening. I'm into um, that, yes. It, 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 there, you're right, there are fireworks happening everywhere. I fail to understand what exactly is it that people are celebrating. <laughs> I was thinking, I was reflecting on that actually as I was driving in. A very, a very, I think, important uh, thing, uh, Brother, you mentioned that uh, this this new year does not seem to be as happy as it should be. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I think you are referring to um, the Palestine mm. conflict, uh, the wars going on in Russia, all the other problems in the world. And it's true that uh, this, this new year is... Uh, I think not is, is more to be sad about than to be happy about. Um, but as our, I think it's the second segment, it is about uh, New Year's resolutions. It is about positivity as well. Mm. And uh, this is why we started this year, as you mentioned, with the with prayers. We woke up early in the morning. I think uh, many of even Ahmadi uh, Muslims stay, uh, still awake, stay awake uh, until late. Some watch the fireworks as well. Uh, I myself was also um, doing some tasks. Uh, I was at the airport, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, despite that, so many people wake up in the morning yeah. with this positivity in the morning that we are going to pray together in the mosque. And, uh, I mean, it's we are going to pray for the world. We're going to pray mm -hmm. for, uh, I think, in everyone's mind uh, right now is, is the, this the suffering of the Palestinian people uh, at the top of the, you know, uh, list, yes. but uh, um, let's also not the forget Ukrainian that. People, absolutely. Uh, yes, yes, of course, yeah. other wars, and everyone has their own personal That's issues right. as well. Yeah, correct, absolutely. So there's so many things, but uh, let's let's try to be positive about this. Let's hope yeah. and pray for a for a positive future. Uh, but let's also not forget that uh, many people uh, are not having as a, as a happy new year as we are. Absolutely, and I and what I would say to that, I think, yeah, I don't think we should be sad about the new year. Uh, uh, Alhamdulillah, we've all been given this opportunity by the grace of God. God has given us the opportunity uh, to be to be here today, to be alive and <coughs> kicking and, and still breathing. And therefore, I think there's everything to be positive about. I think we just need to be reflective about. Instead of celebrating, we need to reflect on you know what the last year was about and uh, what uh, did we lose uh, last year uh, in terms of global peace, in terms of... Uh, 
um, uh, sleepless nights that many of us have had as a result of the images that we have seen from the wars happening around the world. So yeah, let's be reflective about it. Let's let's think about it, and and let's see how we can make 2024 different. So that's how I think we should uh, be celebrating New Year. If well, at all. I, I think you're 100% correct, um, but I think one thing that has become or, or has been very clear. Yes, we've seen a lot of images of grief and 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 unnecessary killing. But to me, it's a quote I saw a few days ago that it it got to me that what's been the real absence, what's been the real find of 2023 is the absence of humanity, the absence of uh, condemnation, the absence of justice, the absence of speaking up for the truth, the the silence, you know, it suddenly, the calm shattered on the 7th of October, yeah. whereas before then, it was bliss. And, and it's that silence. And, you know, one thing has become common uh, that everyone is now saying that, you know, silence isn't an answer. Silence is not an option anymore, unfortunately. You can't be complicit. If you're silent, you'll be you'll be. You complicit. are complicit if you're silent. Mm. It, 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 because, you speak out. because the level of, uh, of, of injustice, of, of injustice and inhumanity, mm. it's indescribable. It is. Um, and, and, and you're rightly saying it isn't just Palestine. It is around the world. We, 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 we spoke of Congo some time ago. Yeah. You know, there, there are atrocities happening across the world. And the, the, the flag bearers of verbal humanitarianism are silent when, huma- when true humanitarianism is needed. Yeah. And, and, and that's what's, what, to me, that's been the, the, the sad bit of 2023. <clears throat> I think I read somewhere a couple of weeks ago that uh, the circumstances of the world are such at the moment uh, that you uh, you can't pretend to be just anymore. No, you, you you've uh, you know it's all out in the open now. So those pretensions are long gone now. You can't you can't uh, you know if you were just paying lip service before to uh, to justice to equality to human rights and not doing anything about all of those things in in <coughs> 2024 um then you're definitely complicit uh, in those in all of those um uh, war crimes as the united nations calls them so um so absolutely uh, you know this is this is not the time to be on the fence this is the time to um to do something about uh, uh, the state of affairs because otherwise, as His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been warning for decades, you know, this fire is going to spread. Mm. We we should be under no illusion that the wars that are happening will be confined, will remain confined between um, Ukraine and Russia and Israel and the Palestinians. These and there already are, as we will just be reading out the the headlines in a minute or so. Uh, you know, there's already talk of uh, doing um, some sort of an operation in Yemen against the Houthis. So it's already spreading. Um, so the, can, that's we've because got to be careful. The Houthis are the only one who've actually, rightly or wrongly, 
they are the only ones who have actually taken some action, which which has had an impact um, on uh, on not not just the oppressor, uh, but it's had a, a an impact across the world, where a lot of Western leaders are now having to raise their heads and saying, "Well, hold on, this will have a knock-on effect on us." And the shame of it is that the only reason they've raised their heads is because it will have an economic impact. Yeah. The justice, the injustice, the inhumanity didn't they did not they did not say a word. Yeah. In and fact they they abstained and vetoed. I I I would I, f- I totally agree with that but I would also you know just add a caveat that one would not really agree with the tactics that the Houthis have adopted uh, uh, as well. I I, I agree but this is what I'm saying absolutely you know, you know, I'm not saying that there's an the, agreement but, but I think that what they you know uh, you're absolutely right in terms of the point that they're trying to make is I think they they're just trying to put a spotlight on the uh on the humanitarian issue on the humanitarian crisis in Palestine at the moment. And that bit is totally ignored. And uh, you're right, it's all about economics, unfortunately. It's all about money. And, you know, again, our hope and prayers are that things change for the better in uh, in mm-hmm. 2024, that um, uh, that people openly call out for ceasefire. I, I, I don't know. I, there used to be a term, when I was growing up anyways, called warmongering. And anybody who's not asking for a ceasefire at the moment, I think, is warmongering. And I last time I checked in the dictionary, warmongering wasn't a very good thing. So, uh, yeah. so I, you know, I, I don't know why anybody would not support a ceasefire in in all the wars and both of the <coughs> wars uh, at the moment, because uh, you know that is the that is the human thing to do. Because unless there is a ceasefire, United Nations keeps on saying that they won't be able to do anything in terms of humanitarian supplies, in terms of re-equipping the hospitals, which are down to what you know about twenty percent of their capacity, probably even less. One thousand children have been amputated without anesthesia. Just think about that. Mm-hmm. Just think about your child. You yeah. know, it's just your child having a prick. Yeah. Uh, and and the pain that causes to uh, to a parent. Think about your child going through an amputation without anesthesia. But the perseverance and the patience of exactly what you've just said. I saw a clip of a young boy who was reciting the Holy Quran while he was having an amputation done. Because that's the only anesthesia that was available to him that he's aware of. That will take the pain away. Like and he was crying and he was reciting the Holy Quran. Yeah. And we've seen, that's a, huge, been... uh, we've seen a huge trend of uh, people, I think it was covered on some of the shows here at the Voice of Islam as well, that, uh, that American children, Western uh, uh, teenagers looking into the Holy Quran, that what is it that is making these Palestinians still believe in God? What is it that is making them still say these words that God Almighty is enough for us and he is our protector after all these atrocities, after all this pain. What, I mean, how strong can your faith be? What kind of religion is this? Well, well, I, I think it's this... greater than that for me personally. I mean, uh, Brother Daniel is aware of it because we've covered this on other shows that I think as Muslims, it's made us look into ourselves. Be more reflective. Be more reflective that, hold on, with nothing on their plate, with death around them, with no structures around them, 
the the roof is the sky and the bed is the earth yet they praise god almighty when death hits them they praise god almighty mm. in every uh, trial tribulation they have praised god almighty at no time have they said come and help us they haven't asked for or or, or you know uh, and say look all they've said is yes have a ceasefire but their main uh, 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 request that they have been making off anything that they need has been to god almighty they have begged god almighty to give them um uh, you know to, to have mercy and, and to to stop the oppression we are attacking a lot of the western leaders and the western countries but his holiness also mentioned that the biggest failure for this conflict for the palestinians is the muslim nations themselves 100% who being muslim yeah, you can, you this is part the of their faith to yeah. not let this happen and they are they are silent about this is the, the worst criminal thing. in it to my mind as well Absolutely. well well even even that you know was was uh, and you're so correct uh, you're so correct that you know that young child who 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 sent a message to a live turkish tv broadcast news broadcast that tell the muslim and the arab nations not to pray for us not to carry out our funeral prayers in absentia mm-hmm. because we are very much certainly alive it is you the nations who are dead <laughs> you don't need to carry out our funeral prayers because we're not dead we're still alive but you know and 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 that is something that that message from a youngster coming from the mid of gaza to to the to the to the you know to the muslim nations very poignant you can't really it, it, it there was silence in the studio when they said, when when that message was read out because yeah. again it hits you smack in the face um and you're correct um, his holiness the fifth caliph of the promised messiah hazrat mirza masrur ahmed may allah strengthen his hand has been the sole voice has been the sole voice around the world to raise the injustice and the inhumanity even from on the friday sermon uh, that has, uh, his holiness highlighted and 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 challenged this narrative that that um, you know that all these people are being killed on on the on the on the lie of that oh we we are uh, we're uh, we're looking to eradicate um, yeah. uh, hamas which you know it's th- that narrative isn't selling anymore you know the, the it is mm-hmm. against uh, its truth against propaganda it's mainstream against social media and and i think somewhat social media is winning it's taken 80 85 90 days but people are people are turning now there are there is some people who are turning and you know finally the the on on christmas day the the reverend in bethlehem who did did you that listen that was such an amazing message that was such a deep message and that uh was a very poignant message yeah. it, it it hit it was a very hard hitting message yeah his words were so true though that we as palestinians we will survive like we have yeah, always yeah. survived yeah but we will not forgive we will not forget yeah and and and, and that brings me actually to to another point which is that this illusion that there is in the western world especially that palestinians is equal to muslims yes that is not correct no um a palestinians a palestinian could easily be a, a jew 
<laughs> if I could say that, because they 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 say yeah. that uh, you know they are from it's Palestine. Not a it's just uh, a but in terms of the uh, what we understand in the ongoing lingo, Palestinian a could easily be a Muslim and a Christian, and and there are churches in Gaza. There are many churches still in in the West Bank. Bethlehem is in the West Bank the birthplace of Christianity. It's one of the occupied territories by Israel. So, yes, there is a, a large uh, Palestinian Christian community as well. So I think we should, um, uh, that point needs to be understood as well. Um, yes, we um, have uh, covered this again on, on earlier shows as well, that uh, I think the topic was something like, uh, is this a religious war? And uh, I think everyone agreed this that religion does not play a part in this yeah. in terms of its... Uh, it's about territory. Um, it's about geopolitics. Yes, yeah, uh, there might be a a deep part, very deep root on, of religion. But at the moment, this is again Palestine against Israel. The, whether you are Muslim, a Jew, a Christian, this is this is nothing to do with Islam or uh, Judaism. It just happens to be that the, Zi- you see, the Zion, you're absolutely Zionism is, is is not a religion. No. Zionism yes. is an ideology. It's a political ideology. Judaism no. is the religion, and there are many Jews who, who do not who support spoke, Zionism. Who spoke against this exactly. So uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, this is nothing to do with uh, with religion. This is about uh, uh, territory. We uh, uh, we will continue this discussion um, in the next hour or so, also because that is what our, our first topic. But uh, we want to quickly cover the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning. So Imam Anand, if you can take us through the headlines, please. Yes, there is a, a variety of news. Um, uh, which is uh, a, a little bit away from this topic. So the Daily Telegraph uh, leads with uh, Defence Secretary Grant Shapps saying the UK would not hesitate to take direct action against Houthi rebels targeting ships in the Red Sea. The Iranian-backed Yemeni rebel group has been attacking vessels since November, launching more than 100 drone and missile strikes on vessels passing through the vital shipping lane. The in the Times, we learn of plans for frictionless travel. That's the new one that uh, that would see passengers arriving in the UK not having to present their passports. Border Force Director General Phil Douglas tells the paper the aim is to create an intelligent border that would use much more frictionless fa- facial recognition than currently. Uh, much more frictionless facial recognition than currently. Uh, passports are also the issue under scrutiny in the Daily Mail, this time in the context of ministers considering proposals to close what the paper reports is a major loophole that allows people to easily change their sex in official documents. The paper cites figures estimating that hundreds of people use the procedure each year. The Daily Mirror highlights poll findings that it says show, uh, that it says show an overwhelming majority of people want assisted dying to be made legal in the UK. Dame Esther Ronson, who has a stage 4 lung cancer and has joined the uh, Dignitas Assisted Dying Clinic in Switzerland, wants MPs to have a free vote on the issue. She tells the paper most people now feel that they would like to have the choice. The Guardian reports that doctors at Great Ormond Street Hospital in London are being encouraged to consider air pollution levels at their patients' home addresses when assessing the cause of their illness. Medical matters also concern the Daily uh, Daily Express, but its front-page story is focused on face-to-face appointments with a GP. It reports on figures that estimate a fifth of such consultations in England last year were done in less than five minutes. 
In the I newspaper, the lead story concerns data suggesting that police forces are rapidly expanding their use of lie detectors, lie detector tests, and maybe exceeding their powers by using them in interviews and to gather evidence against unconvicted suspects as well. And lastly, the Daily uh, Star suggests that whether we like it or not, we will be facing a wet January's uh, wet January as weather forecasts point to a particularly gloomy mix of storms, floods and snow, or gale and flood chaos, as the paper describes it. Thank you very much uh, for that, Imam Usman Minan. And I'd like to end this segment uh, with the prayer that uh, was uh, forwarded to me by our brother here, um, uh, Kayum Rashid, uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Kayum Rashid. And uh, I'd like to read that out because um, it's uh, it's an excellent... Uh, I, I was I was moved uh, while reading that out uh, this morning. So I'd like to share that with all of you. And I quote, It is not our righteousness, accounts of oath or good wishes that brought us into the new year. If God had enforced his will, he would have surely ended our life in 2023. O Allah, Lord of sovereignty, the self-subsisting and all-sustaining, thou givest to whoever thou pleasest, without measure, to be written in the new year 2024. We humble ourselves before you. We put our trust in you, Allah, to protect us through the many months in 2024 and ahead. Amin. Um, and that uh, prayer is uh, for all the listeners out there as well. Right. Uh, that brings us to the towards the end of um, this segment. And without any further ado, we will move on uh, to our first segment, which is um, about mental well-being of Palestinian children. So the ongoing war in Palestine has seriously affected the mental well-being of all its citizens, especially the children who will grow up with this burden of trauma. It is normal to experience a loss of one family member throughout a child's life. However, Palestinian children are experiencing the loss of their entire families. They have no choice but to take the role of an adult if their younger siblings survive. The trauma of the war and the pressure of keeping the rest of the family safe is causing these innocent children detrimental stress. Uh, my colleague here, Imam Usman Minan, earlier spoke to Dr. Margaret Harris, um, who is the spokesperson for the World Health Organization. Let's listen in to what she had to say. First of all, thank you uh, for your time and uh, g- g- giving us the opportunity for this interview for the Voice of Islam Radio. Um, firstly, um, most uh, ma- many of the agencies like the UNICEF, uh, the UNRWA, and the WHO as well have stated that uh, women and children are facing dispro- disproportionately um, the uh, you know the effects of the war. Uh, so the first question would be that uh, what's what's your opinion on this and what do you think is the reason for this disproportionate um, um, uh, disproportionate um, the, the effect of the war which they are bearing? So one of the reasons is that the population of Gaza is very very young. Uh, over almost half the people in Gaza are under eighteen. So you've got a million children in Gaza. But the second reason is it's the children and the women 
who are in the homes, um, uh, who are most likely to be in the homes in the buildings that are actually bombed. So they are most likely to be uh, in the in the buildings when the bombings occur, and again, that's why they're losing their lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, another important aspect, and um, which will be affecting the, these children in the future, is their mental state. Um, what do you think will will happen to these children in the future? What kind of trauma they will be uh, going through? Um, if they are not going through this already? That's a very, very important question. I, can you? It's almost imaginable what the children of Gaza are going through at the moment. They are moving from place to place with or without parents. Many children now have lost their parents. There are a lot of what we call unaccompanied minors, just children who are wandering with the groups of displaced people trying to find somewhere safe, uh, not knowing what's happened to their family members. They, their family members may still be under the rubble. Um, they, If they are with families, they are with parents who are desperately seeking food, water, shelter for their children. They may also have seen horrific things, uh, seen the explosions of other people and you know, the sort of remains of people children are drawing things like uh, pictures of people who are in pieces on the ground um, and so they've seen horrific things they've lost friends they've lost family they've lost any kind of certainty and they are often may well be relied on by families to try to find food and water every day and many may find that they don't find the water so they're coming back or the food so they're coming back feeling that they've failed so this is putting tremendous pressure on children to um, live in this very uncertain state, uh, a constant state of terror, a state of starvation. They may well be ill. They see that the, the adults around them can't control the situation, are very frightened themselves. So all of that leads to a sense of great uncertainty, a complete loss of trust. Uh, so in the future, those children will need to see a world that they can trust in and and to be in environments and meet adults that do become uh, reliable and trustworthy. One hopes that once these hostilities cease that the children have a chance to see a world that they can believe in and trust because otherwise they will grow up to be adults who are um, angry uncertain and fearful and unable to fill, fulfill their, their, their potential as, as humans taking part in, in human society. Yes, and along with the mental state, um, you also mentioned the, you know, clean water and, uh, and, and main diseases spreading. Um, how is that affecting them physically? Um, and uh, of course, there's, there's a lot of babies still being born and many newborns, newborn babies are facing some are facing premature uh, births. Some are being born with other um, impartialities. Um, how is how is the the you know physical state, um, especially clean water and um, just cleanliness in general, affecting um, the newborn babies? We are very very concerned about um, the disease and the lack of care 
that's that's available now because so few of the hospitals are able to function and those that are functioning we've got nine in the south and maybe four in the north they're, they're at least doing what they can they're operating really as first aid stations but they're dealing with the huge numbers of injuries now you've also got as you mentioned people who've got now infections we've seen the numbers of diarrhea cases just skyrocket we're seeing 40 times the normal number of um, uh, diarrhea cases and those are the ones just mm-hmm. reported in the UNRWA shelter and and you you mentioned the newborn babies so we know that we expect that there'll be about 183 births per day and of those 20 at least 20 babies will be born needing specialized care but where will they get it um, it's becoming increasingly difficult. Very, very few of the hospitals have those facilities. Now, some of the um, emergency medical teams, these are, these are teams around the world who offer their services, have been able to come in. And there are two field hospitals that are run by, one's run by United Arab Emirates, the other by Jordan. And they have been able to provide, bring some incubators in, but we're talking mm-hmm. small numbers. So there are, we just are deeply, deeply concerned about the toxic mix of lack of clean water, lack of shelter, lack of food um, for the youngest and most vulnerable. We, we uh, don't know how and where they're getting the care they need to get. Yes, Dr. Harris, I mean, this is the, I think, most important question at the moment. Um, what what should the children do? What is their fault? Um, and where can they get help? Um, so uh, if you could tell us a little bit about um, what is the WHO um, doing in this regard? Or what are they trying? Um, what are their objectives at the moment? So our objective, well, our, you know, one of the things we are doing and what we need to see happen is we are calling constantly for a ceasefire. Really, until the violence stops, it's going to be very difficult to create the conditions and, and bring in the level of aid needed to simply meet the ordinary needs of all the people of Gaza, but particularly the children yeah. and, the, and the newborn babies. Now, we are doing what we can. And as I mentioned, we have put out a call for emergency medical teams. We've got nine that have been deployed into the south of Gaza. We've got many others that have offered their services. But again, we need the green light to bring them into Gaza. And we also need the safety to um, enable them to come in. Now, as I mentioned, we've already got many in that have gone in despite the lack of safety because the needs are so great and they have brought in two, an extra 250 beds and there's also one mobile team that are doing their best to, to, to go to where the needs are. The other thing we're doing, of course, is bringing in supplies. Uh, what we can bring in is just a, a drop in the ocean compared to what's needed. Um, yep. That. Uh, and again, getting to where it's needed is very difficult. We do go to every hospital that we can, including those in the north, but uh, we are finding increasingly, as we can only take a, a couple of small trucks because the roads are so damaged, uh, but the other thing that happens is that our convoys are besieged by starving people who jump on the trucks, open the boxes looking for food, 
um, what we are carrying out is medical supplies, but we mm. are finding it harder and harder simply to get them there because people are so desperate and so desperate for food. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, obviously, at the other side, which are which are not in favor of the ceasefire, saying that we have to um, eradicate Hamas completely before we can, uh, you know, loosen up uh, in, in any way. Um, so, in your opinion, do you think this is a justified reason to not let enough aid in, to not uh, do a ceasefire that? Um, I mean, you want to eradicate this Hamas movement, but how many lives can you, you know, let die? How many people can die just for this cause to be achieved? So we are all about health, health for all the people. Terrible atrocities happened on October 7, and we are very concerned again for the mental health of the people who suffered those atrocities. But this is not a reason to bomb an entire population back to the Middle Ages, to attack hospitals, to kill more than 8,000 children. Uh, the only answer here is a ceasefire. Uh, and I think the Pope got it right when he said that that the needs are being lost in the futile logic of war. Uh, the, the military objectives here are a nonsense. We are just Mm -hmm. seeing a horrific loss of life Um, and the world needs to regain its moral compass and say this must stop now. We need a ceasefire now. It's a man-made disaster. Man is killing, humans are killing humans and it needs to stop. Absolutely. Um, And lastly, Dr. Harris, what is the future looking like for these children? Obviously, we have discussed that, that the trauma they will be facing and and uh, the kind of mental instability in the future they will have. But uh, other than that, um, what do you think is, is the future looking like? Do, do these children have to move out from these places? Are they ever going to be safe in their country? Um, do you have any uh, maybe, you know, uh, closer experiences? Or do you hear any uh, stories from within Gaza about these children? Well, I have seen children after war. If the support, the mental health support comes in, the physical support comes in, if they're given genuine opportunities, if they're given educational opportunities, if they're given employment opportunities, if they're given a reason to hope, they will recover. But a lot of things have to be put in place to achieve that. And again, the world has to understand that what we need in 2024 is hope, not hatred. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Margaret Harris. It was a pleasure speaking to you. So that was uh, Dr. Margaret Harris, uh, who is the spokesperson for the World Health Organization. And uh, as she ended the message with uh, by saying that we need hope and we absolutely uh, need hope, uh, as we started off the show by saying as well, I think yeah, the world needs hope, the world needs uh, positivity, but the world needs action as well. And um, we all need to be on the right side of that. We're talking this morning about the situation in Palestine, the Palestinian children. Um, and I, to give uh, uh, our listeners a little bit of a perspective on what's actually going on um, in Palestine and how 
bad the situation is, um, I am just uh, going to play a, um, a short clip from a press conference that the Secretary General of United Nations did, in, um, Antonio Guterres, um, a few days ago around what are the needs and what is currently happening in Palestine. Let's listen in. In the north, they are barely operational. One colleague described the deathly silence of a hospital with no medication or treatment for its sick and injured patients. According to the World Food Programme, widespread famine looms. More than half a million people, a quarter of the population, are facing what experts classify as catastrophic levels of hunger. Four out of five of the angriest people anywhere in the world are in Gaza. And clean water is at a trickle. UNICEF found that displaced children in the South have access to just 10% of the water they need. In these desperate conditions, it is little wonder that many people cannot wait for humanitarian distributions and are grabbing whatever they can from aid trucks. As I warned, public order is at risk of breaking down. Humanitarian veterans who have served in war zones and disasters around the world, people who have seen everything, tell me they have seen nothing like what they see today in Gaza. Israel began its military operation in response to the horrific terror attacks launched by Hamas on 7 October. And nothing can possibly justify those attacks or the brutal abduction of some 250 hostages. And I repeat my call for all remaining hostages to be released immediately and unconditionally. And nothing can justify the continued fire of rockets from Gaza at civilian targets in Israel or the use of civilians as human shields. But at the same time, these violations of international humanitarian law can never justify the collective punishment of the Palestinian people, and they do not free Israel from its own obligations under international law. Ladies and gentlemen, of the press. Many people are measuring the effectiveness of the humanitarian operation in Gaza based on the number of trucks from the Egyptian Red Crescent, the UN and other partners that are allowed to unload aid across the border. This is a mistake. The real problem is that the way Israel is conducting this offensive is creating massive obstacles to the distribution of humanitarian aid inside Gaza. An effective aid operation in Gaza requires security, staff who can work in safety, logistical capacity, and the resumption of commercial activity. These four elements do not exist. First, security. We are providing aid in a war zone. The intense Israeli bombardment and active combat in densely populated urban areas throughout Gaza threaten the lives of civilians and humanitarian aid workers alike. We waited 71 days for Israel finally to allow aid to enter Gaza via the Kerem Shalom crossing. And the crossing was then hit while eight trucks were 
in the area. Second, the humanitarian operation requires staff who can live and work in safety. 136 of our colleagues in Gaza have been killed in 75 days, something we have never seen in the history of the United Nations. Nowhere is safe in Gaza. I honor the women and men who have made the ultimate sacrifice, and I pay tribute to the thousands of humanitarian aid workers who are risking their health and lives in Gaza even as I speak. Most of our staff have been forced from their homes. All of them spend hours each day simply struggling to survive and to support their families. It is a miracle that they have been able to continue working under these conditions. And yet, those same colleagues are expanding humanitarian operations in southern Gaza to support people living there, while trying to assist the flood of displaced people who arrive from the north with nothing. And they are currently providing aid in Rafa, Western Canyonis, Der El Bela, and Nuzerat in the south, and doing their best to reach the north despite huge challenges, namely security. In these appalling conditions, they can only meet a fraction of the needs. Third, logistics. Every truck that arrives at Karem Shalom and Rafa must be unloaded and its cargo reloaded for distribution across Gaza. We ourselves have a limited and insufficient number of trucks available for these. Many of our vehicles and trucks were destroyed or left behind, following our forced hurried evacuation from the north. But the Israeli authorities have not allowed any additional trucks to operate in Gaza. And this is massively hampering the aid operation. And delivering in the north is extremely dangerous due to active conflict, unexploded ordnance, and heavily damaged roads. Everywhere, frequent communication blackouts make it virtually impossible to coordinate the distribution of aid and to let people know how to access it. And fourth and finally, the resumption of commercial activities is essential. Shelves are empty, wallets are empty, stomachs are empty, just when bakery is operating in the whole of Gaza. And I urge the Israeli authorities to lift restrictions on commercial activity immediately. We are ready to scale up our cash grant support to vulnerable families, the most effective form of humanitarian aid. But in Gaza, there is very little to buy. So, ladies and gentlemen of the media, in the circumstances I've just described, a humanitarian ceasefire is the only way to begin to meet the desperate needs of people in Gaza and end their ongoing nightmare. I hope that today's Security Council resolution may help that finally to happen. But much more is needed immediately. Looking at the longer term, I'm extremely disappointed by comment by senior Israeli officials that put the two-state solution into question. As difficult as it might appear today, the two-state solution in line with UN resolutions, international law and previous agreements is the only path to sustainable peace. 
any suggestion otherwise denies human rights, dignity and hope to the Palestinian people, fueling rage that reverberates far beyond Gaza. It also denies a safe future for Israel. The spillover is already happening. The occupied West Bank is at boiling point. Daily exchanges of fire across the blue line between Lebanon and Israel pose a grave risk to regional stability. Attacks and threats to shipping on the Red Sea by the Houthis in Yemen are impacting shipping with the potential to affect the global supply chains. And beyond the immediate region, the conflict is polarizing communities, feeding hate speech and fueling extremism. All this poses a significant and growing threat to global peace and security. As the conflict intensifies and the horror grows, we will continue to do our part. We will not give up. But at the same time, it is imperative that international communities speak with one voice for peace, for the protection of civilians, for an end to suffering, and for a commitment to the two-state solution backed with action. So that was the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres um, talking to media people a few days ago and explaining in detail the current situation, the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, as well as the potential ramifications of this conflict, um, the uh, the risk of contagion of this conflict. He talked about uh, the Houthis in Yemen. That's already in the headlines today, even here in the UK. Um, and um, uh, he talked about uh, the threat to global peace and security. Talking about the um, the humanitarian crisis, uh, Brother Kim, if I can uh, come to you and uh, Imam Usman as well. Um, we've been talking about how how bad the the situation is how important therefore is it right now to call for ceasefire i don't think it's an option anymore it's a it's 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 a must it's um <clears throat> nobody 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 who uh, can actually stand up um, with a straight face and say a ceasefire is needed. I mean, we've already covered the fact that, um, you know, if you're silent or if you've actively actively been vetoing or abstaining from uh, having a ceasefire, you are complicit. That's not something we are saying. That's not something anybody else is saying. Your actions are saying that that's what you are when you support a genocide, when you support a massacre, when you support apartheid, when you support inhumane, unjust um, killing of, let's put some figures and stats here, 70% of the people who have been killed have been women and children. 70%. They are target killing. They have killed 106 journalists. They are killing doctors and nurses and professors and teachers of universities. What people might not realize is Palestine had one of the highest literacy rates, rates in the region. From, and, and uh, you know, very intelligent children. Very patient children. Very mature. 
very you mature. Can, you can see from many of the videos and messages that, yeah. I mean, 10, 12 years old, and they are talking... Uh, they're, having, you know, they're giving speeches. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I mean, they know what's happening. They they are addressing uh, the world leaders. And yeah. you know how an, even an adult sometimes needs to find some words, but they're very eloquent as well. That's right. And, I mean, very smart children it makes it even worse, even sad, more sad that... I mean, we're not just losing Palestinians. We're losing humans. We're losing uh, very intelligent children. We, it's just it's, a and it's not just losing. It's how we are losing and it's why we are losing. And the fact that we uh, and our leaders are sitting quietly. And, and you know, I can't get the, the reverend, the message of the reverend out of my head. Uh, because he says... We will recover. Palestinians always do recover. But your hollow words of apologies after the genocide will not be accepted. He says, yes, we will recover. But he says, I feel sorry for you. He's addressing the world leaders. Mm. He says, I feel sorry for you. Because the question is, will you recover? Because, you know... It's something me and Brother Daniel spoke of on, on the Drive Time show uh, a couple of days back. Historically, we read of genocides in books, histories. And history is always written after the event. Yeah. We are witnessing it live. We are seeing genocide happening. We are seeing ethnic cleansing. A lot of people have a question of, oh, it's not ethnic cleansing. When people get told, move from one side of a, of a city to another for safety, and when people move to safety, and then you bomb that place of safety, that is standard ethnic cleansing practice, which was used in the Balkans. Hmm. Which was used in the Balkans. And the fact that it goes back to, again, a discussion me and Brother Daniel had about Sir Chaudhry Zafirullah Khan, um, um, you know, um, on whom be peace. It's, in 1947, he addressed the United Nations when he was a foreign affairs minister of Pakistan. He says, you know, that the so-called uh, uh, lip service of humanitarianism, the Australians, the US, the UK, the Canadians who were, uh, you know, the, the custodians of humanitarianism, when they were asked, well, how many Jews will you take in 1947? Mm -hmm. You know, the Australians said, no, 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 we don't have any land. <laughs> the Americans said, no, 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 you know, our, we, don't have the, we don't have economics. We have just come out from a war. We don't, have, uh, we don't have the finances. Canada said the same. UK said we don't have any space. Nobody wanted. They were all... Uh, so they were all. They all spoke about humanitarianism. What also um, it, it almost beats me is that you know the, here is the Pope, mm. who is the highest authority among Catholic Christians. He is openly calling for a ceasefire. Yet many. Uh, many Christian countries uh, with large Catholic populations uh, do nothing about it. Uh, exactly in the same way that many Muslim countries 
have not done anything about this. So I, you know, I, this is the, I guess we've. But then this shouldn't surprise the likes of me, you, and Brother Usman, should it? Because this was meant to happen. The 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 absence of God. Yeah, absolutely. I was about to say. So yeah, it reminds me of that uh, uh, tradition of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And she said that there will be a time when faith will will go to the ladies. Yeah star and um, and evaporate from earth and and that is what's happening regardless of which denomination or which religion you belong to because i guess the only faith is uh, or the only religion at the moment is money and 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 wealth and power well mosques will be full but there will be there, there will be no guidance yeah churches are becoming empty anyway mm-hmm. the, the 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 moral depravity in society is a norm we cannot identify a man from a woman and a woman from a man we we um, we uh, kill, uh, and the value of life is non-existent. Violence has become a norm. To stand up for justice is um, uh, you are uh, um, you are labelled uh, as an extremist if you if you raise um, uh, uh, inhumane and unjust uh, practices of people. We have got to a point where, as Brother Daniel earlier rightfully said, that everyone is moving towards a far-right populist narrative when it comes to um, uh, when, it, when, when it comes to politics and governance. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very, very much uh, for that. Uh, we now need to take a break for the news. And when we come back, we will continue this discussion on the ongoing situation in Palestine. Do stay tuned. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. This morning we're talking about the situation in Palestine, the, uh, the situation in general, the humanitarian issue there, the humanitarian crisis over there, I should say, and also the the dire situation for children. Uh, in Palestine at the moment, as we mentioned earlier as well, 1,000, more than 1,000 children have actually been amputated over there um, without anesthesia, and not to mention the thousands, other, literally thousands and thousands of others who've been injured or maimed, and uh, the other thousands uh, who actually have unfortunately lost their lives uh, as well. Uh, really, my heart goes out to all of them. Um, you were listening to... Um, 
before we went on to the break, an interview with the spokesperson of the World Health Organization, Dr. Margaret Harris. Uh, you also uh, listened to what um, uh, the Secretary General of United Nations, Mr. Antonio Gatteres, um actually said um, addressing the media about the humanitarian crisis in um, uh, in Gaza at the moment. Uh, this obviously is um, uh, is all leading, as he mentioned, to uh, unfortunate escalation there. And uh, I'd like to read out uh, an excerpt from uh, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, who is the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, uh, may Allah be his helper. And he mentioned this uh, during um, a recent Friday sermon. And I quote, The rate at which the state of war is escalating and how the Israeli government and other major global powers are adopting certain policies, it's apparent that a world war is staring at us in the face. Now, even some leaders of Muslim countries have begun to openly state, as have Russia and China, and so too Western analysts have begun to write and proclaim that the scope of this war seems to be expanding. If wise policies are not immediately adopted, the world will face devastation. All of this is being reported in the media. The harrowing state of affairs is in front of you all. For as long as the world leaders do not courageously strive for a ceasefire, they are invariably responsible for taking the world towards destruction. He went on to say, Israeli government officials say Hamas killed our innocents. Hence, we will seek revenge. This revenge has now exceeded all limits. The loss of Palestinian lives is reported as four to five times greater than the loss of Israeli lives. If their aim is to eliminate Hamas as they so claim, then they should directly combat them. Why are they killing women, children and the elderly? They have also deprived people of water, sustenance and medical care. This is where all claims to human rights and rules of warfare cease to exist when it comes to these governments. Unquote. So uh, a very uh, dire warning given by the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand uh, to the world uh, on the um, uh, on where uh, this seems to be going. Uh, Brother Kiyum, your comments? Um, <clears throat> I mean, what else can one say? I mean, His Holiness um, has said it you know, directly, and the people who he's addressing are fully aware um, of what, uh, uh, where they are going with this. And, you know, in, in the break, we were discussing that. I think we don't talk about it enough uh, that for some reason, and, and I think it's uh, His Holiness, the fourth caliph of the Promised Messiah, uh, his only is Mr. Mr. Tahir Ahmed. May Allah have mercy on his soul. He said that these people are naive to think that if there's a third world war, they will be shielded from the effect of the war. Mm. They they will be uh, as affected as anyone else. So don't think that this war is not going to uh, is 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 not. If the, if God forbid there is a war, do not think that you are shielded. And and I think, Brother Rani, I'm sure you will correct me here. I think it's either the Promised Messiah or one of the caliphs of the Promised Messiah who said 
that look, Russia isn't safe. Americas aren't promise safe. Promise Messiah's words. It was a promise Messiah's yeah, words. The islands, you're not movies. safe. Or Europe, you're not safe. Yeah. That's it. And even Asia. I- Asia. Do not yeah. think that you are safe either. Um, and, and this is the catastrophe that, that you know, we are seeing happen, and which is what the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah, Mirza, uh, His Holiness Azza Mirza Masur Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, keeps on referring to not now, but the past two decades. This is not something new. And I, I'll go back to what I said earlier. His Holiness spoke about this as a lone voice when he visited Capitol Hill, when he addressed the EU, when he addressed Parliament. He has addressed politicians direct. Hmm. That, look, you need to uh, you need to focus on justice. You need to focus on humanity. Um, and politicians have not taken heed. Um, and they've uh, they've they've become complicit, and I think it's a shame. I, I think a lot of Western politicians don't realize what side that that they are on the wrong side of history, and their children will not forgive them because the children of of the last genocide, and 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 the people who were complicit in the previous genocides, you know, history when they recorded them and when they hear about their parents that they were in favor or they abstained from stopping the killing of babies, stopping the killing of women. And then they will say to their parents, well, why did you not? Why did you vote against this narrative? Why did you vote for populism? Why did you vote for the killing of children? Why did you vote for the killing of innocents? Why did you vote for inhumane and unjust treatment? This is something that, again, the children of today's politicians will answer. They will have to answer to their children. And history will not record them in a nice manner. Because those days are over where the previous genocides were recorded by Western historians. Now history is written by the world. Yeah, absolutely. And as they say, you know, history is... is uh, is written by uh, uh, the victors, uh, yes. but unfortunately, you know, you're right. Fortunately, actually, I should yeah. say, it's now being documented every, everywhere on um, on social media. The quote that um, uh, <clears throat> the the proper quote that you were looking for, Brother Kiyom, uh, is as follows. So these are the words of uh, the Promised Messiah, uh, on whom be peace. And I quote: "O Europe, you're not safe, and O Asia, you too are not immune." And O dwellers of islands, no false gods shall come to your rescue. I see cities fall and settlements laid waste. The one and the only God kept silent for long. Heinous deeds were done before his eyes and he said nothing. But now he shall reveal his face in majesty and awe. Let him who has ears hear that the time is not far. I have done my best to bring all under the protection of God, but it was destined that what was written should come to pass. Truly do I say that the turn of this land too is approaching fast. The times of Noah shall reappear before your eyes and your own eyes will be witnesses to the calamity that overtook the cities of Lot. <coughs> but God is slow in his wrath. Repent that you may be shown mercy. He who does not fear him is dead. 
not alive, unquote. Wow. How relevant, true is that today? And that's what, oh, that's 120 years old? 100, yeah. Just over 100 years old? Yeah. And, and that, that is what we have been talking about. If, if you think about what the promised Messiah on whom we be, he's the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, who is the Messiah of the time that everyone is waiting for, the second coming. A lot of people are waiting for the Messiah to come, but with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we believe that he is the Messiah who has come. And if one was to look at the prophecies that he has made and, and they, have, they have come true, and these words are coming true, word by word, the wrath, the, you know, the, the, let's look at the might of the West, the might of Israel. They have the most precise, up-to-date weapons with GPS that they can pinpoint a person. They're getting regular shipments of weapons from the U.S. From the U.S. Even if they, didn't, if they, can, they, term, didn't they, they can eliminate a, an ant on the, on the ground, yet they're not able, are they saying they're not able to eliminate Hamas? No, no, and, and, and also yet, they continue to use dumb bombs, non-smart yes, bombs. Exactly. So more than half of the ammunition used, about 29,000 pounds of bombs have been dropped on this area, uh, almost the size of East London. The Gaza Strip, half of which are non-smart bombs. Ham, uh, Hamas came about in 1987. So who was killing the Palestinians between 47 and 87 for 40 years? Because there was no Hamas. 121 children have died in the West Bank this year. This year. 121 kids, but altogether 1,400 people have been killed in West Bank where yeah. there is no Hamas. There is no Hamas there. There is no Hamas. So this 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 notion that and, the and, Western and governments and the mouthpieces of of uh, of of the so-called journalists, who again twenty twenty three has shown that the the essence, the neutrality of journalism has evaporated. There is no hundred and six journalists have died trying to get the truth out, and not a single peep from the mouthpieces of mainstream media in this country for the journalists. It's not just journalists. They have targeted their wives, their children, their parents. Target killing. It's strange that the doctors, the nurses and the journalists have been killed in their homes precisely with precision missiles. Let me. I, I think that's an excellent point, brother, uh, because that reminds me of another journalist, uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Yes. Who was, who was murdered... And for whatever reasons, mm. the Western media made such hue and cry about that for the right reasons. Yes. Um, it was all over. It was wall-to-wall -wall coverage for days and, and still appears in the media. And, and one guy. And, and yet, 106 people. Uh, you know, we, are, are they children of a lesser God? Are they not human? Why are they being treated like that? Hence why the term apartheid is used yeah for 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 you know people don't like it people it's, do it's not like the words that are being used because they themselves have used these words for other people who have carried out exactly the same treatment to others and and now the cattle are coming home to, and you know the chickens are coming home to roost 
because now they are they are stuck in a position where no more than a year ago they were they were condemning and issuing warrants for for President Putin, calling war crimes, writing letters to the ICC, threatening uh, nuclear attacks, and now suddenly it's the other way around and it's absolute silence. Silence makes you complicit, and you know. It's it's something that uh, th- there was a discussion amongst friends of mine uh, about this, um, who attended some of the marches. Not Muslims, um, in fact, uh, um, Imam Raza actually went covering uh, the Voice of Islam radio station to interview some people, and and he asked one gentleman, "Why are you here?" And he says, "Only for two reasons." He says, "Because I'm a human being, and I am seeing injustice and inhumanity, and I, for the life of me, has never." ever witnessed i have read about it but i have never witnessed <clears throat> such inhumane and in uh, unjust behavior in my life and i am here a, to raise my voice there was a experiment uh, i was looking into a couple of weeks ago there was a woman she wrote on a board that do whatever you want to me for i think five minutes she stood in public First, people were just looking at her, making comments, saying nothing. Then people started, um, I don't know, touching her, then started pushing her. After a couple of minutes, people started abusing her, started uh, throwing things, um, using violence, and it kept going on. And she said that I did this experiment to see that how far can humans go when they are given freedom, completely freedom? You can do whatever you want. And why is it not that somebody started doing good things to me? Why is it not that somebody offered food, did, mm. did you know, something... Or to protect her. Protected her. Mm. Why was it that everyone was just... It was just getting worse. It was from comments to abuse to violence. It just kept downwards. This is, I think, a, a great example to show that freedom is not good for, for us. Freedom absolute is not freedom. good for us. Well, yeah. well yeah. Absolute, absolute freedom, freedom. exactly. Yeah. I think that's the right word. Absolute freedom. Using. Yeah. We need to be controlled. Well, we, uh, okay, I'm sorry. I don't like the word control. I don't limits. like the word control. I think parameters and borders Absolutely. and boundaries. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. I, was, I was more taking this towards um, how God Almighty has fashioned us. Yes, okay. There is a law of God mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, even atheists have this, like, oh, there's free will. I want to be free. Why do I have to follow someone if there is free will as well? That doesn't make sense. Even in free will, there, ha- there are limits mm-hmm. which can't be crossed. Uh, His Holiness, Hazrat I think uh, that was when the, the Charlie Hebdo attacks and uh, this stuff was happening. He said that one person's freedom finishes where... where my nose starts a comment like this yeah. Yeah. Uh, y- your free space mm. it finishes when my free space starts yeah. when you know you are deliberately hurting the sentiments of someone that there's your boundary line absolutely yeah yes and and this this notion about um about freedom in the west is also uh, somewhat misplaced because there is no such thing as absolute freedom. We all submit to different authorities. When we go out on the road, we submit to the local police. We submit to the traffic rules. We have to abide by the speed limits for every road. We can't say that, no, I'm free to do whatever I want. Sorry, you can't. Um, when we go and seek employment, we have to sign terms and conditions and submit to the authority 
of the board of that organization. So we do, and we submit every day to the authority of our bosses. So this notion about that I'm free to do everything, I'm a free man or I'm a free woman, is um, is totally misplaced. And it's okay to be an Islamophobe. It's allowed because it's not against the law. Mm. But God forbid if you speak against someone else. Yeah. Yes, brothers, uh, I just want to finish this yeah. off with... Um, Where's democracy there? The solution. Yes, please do. What's the solution? Go for it. Well, I have uh, one one side of, of the it. solution. You can add to it. Uh, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, uh, the awaited Messiah of every religion. Yep. He came in the in the industrial area, you know, when things started to move, printing presses, cars, vehicles, yep. which was a prophecy hmm. fulfilled. World War was prophesied by the promised Messiah fulfilled. Even these words you were just reading out, uh, Daniel, that Europe, Asia, no, you know, free everything is being fulfilled. Uh, you might have heard on social media there's, there's like a song playing that's right yes. Salam Ya Mahdi yeah. they're, wait, ya they're, they're calling out for the Mahdi yes. they're calling the Mahdi yeah. the Mahdi in, in the mainstream Muslim understanding what people think is that a Mahdi will come a, please, a, please define the word Mahdi for our a listener. Mahdi means a guided one mm-hmm. but it, it's basically a person who will come alongside the Messiah who will uh, brutally kill all people who do not accept Islam mm-hmm. and uh, this is what they're waiting for which is a wrong understanding of the Imam Mahdi of the promised Messiah which has to come the true understanding which Ahmadiyya Muslim community presents is that the Mahdi and the Messiah they are one person the Mahdi means the guided one mm-hmm. the Messiah is um, the Messiah who is the promised Messiah in, in, in two in one basically he has come and the solution that I want to present to this is the promised Messiah himself that you want to you want to be free from this the suffering is the 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 resilience the palestinian people have right now is because of the holy quran is because of faith this is the next step that you can't just have faith and uh, uh, not follow i mean what the holy quran is telling you the holy quran has made a promise has given us prophecies that the messiah will come and we say the messiah has come so one thing we all should be doing is looking for that messiah and the Ahmadi Muslim community, I think, is the only religion, by far, that, that has presented somebody hmm. as a Messiah. Well, all the ones who have claimed to be before have have, uh, have come and uh, gone. Have come and gone in a matter. It's at a blink of an eye. If one was to talk yes. from biblical timings, I mean, very quickly, they quickly. they 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 you know they kind of shot themselves in the foot. Um, you know, their own belief, their own supposed followers killed them. Um, or the message was very local, um, very political, very ideological based. Everything has always been based None around of them politics. Flourished simply. None of them. Yeah. Um, the Muslim Historically, they never spread flourished. All over the world, we were just discussing in the break as well that uh, there's a annual convention happening in Ghana, and mm. two hundred fifty thousand people, mm. food will be provided, yeah. accommodation, everything. I mean, these are these are signs which uh, even His Holiness in his. Um, in a speech of uh, the annual convention of Guardian yesterday, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah oh, just yesterday, uh, he spoke about this that the promised Messiah was given this promise that uh, God Almighty promised him, "I will spread your message to the corners of the of the world." Well, and the corners of the earth is two hundred and twelve countries and and independent free territories. I think it's about one hundred and ninety six countries, and there's about fourteen free and independent territories where the Amdi Muslim community have an active mission uh, or a mosque. 
Absolutely. Um, and and um, uh, and you're also right in that that in the current time and in, in the current age, the Muslim community is the only community which. Uh, believes in a in a messiah uh, who came is a, is a thriving community which was established back in 1889 has been flourishing for um, for over a century now uh, is currently led by the fifth successor of the promised messiah uh, on whom be peace uh, may Allah strengthen his hand um, so it's it, it is something that I think um, the world needs to uh, needs Good, to take need heed to grasp, of. And the, and also, the world will. The promised Messiah, the, the time of promised Messiah in all religions has been around 13th century. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, come again? All Is it the 13th century where they said he will come? Uh, 14, 1400 years, uh, 13th century or 1400 years. Yeah, yeah approximately. But it's not just Muslims. Hindus believe in the second coming of, um, I think uh, it's... Uh, Krishna. It, it is Krishna. We already know in Christianity they're waiting for the second coming of Jesus. Yeah. Buddhists are waiting for the rebirth of Buddha. Confucius, people who believe in Confucianism and Taoism are waiting for the rebirth. Every religion, the Every promised religion. Messiah has written about this. Every religion is awaiting a Messiah. That's right. And I am that fulfillment of every single Messiah. That's right. That and, and, you know, if one was to get away from chapter and verse, if there's a listener out there who's thinking, well, I don't believe in chapter and verse... Hmm. Explain it to me. Well, all religions of God are based on peace, love, and humanity. So, to believe in a narrative that a person's going to come and be violent <laughs> to spread peace, yeah. love, and humanity is illogical. Mm. It's irrational. Mm. The only person who has spoken of unification, of peace, Love and humanity is a promised Messiah, the founder of the Amdi Muslim community, on whom be peace. Where he has said, The time for the sword is gone, disappeared. This is a time of knowledge, yes, and that's what people are making a fuss about. <laughs> exactly, how dare you say that? How dare you say there that? There can't be wars in Islam, <laughs> that's exactly what we don't want, <laughs> exactly. You know, the time of warmongering is gone, disappeared. Now, you tell me what makes more sense that a violent person is going to be violent and kill people because they're not being peaceful. Yet, is it is it more sensible that a peaceful person who believes and practices peace, love and harmony would be a, a, a much better ambassador and, 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 a, and a messenger uh, than, than the violent one? Give us a call, 0208 687 love to hear from you. Prove me wrong. Um, you know, or go go on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. Absolutely, and do leave us a comment there. I'd like to end this segment uh, by quoting from the current head of the MD Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand. And he said, Today it is the responsibility of every Ahmadi Muslim to protect the world from destruction. This is because we have pledged allegiance to the promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian. Peace be on him. And by doing so, we have sworn that we will always strive for the betterment of all humanity. Unquote. Thank you very much for listening to us. We will now swiftly move on to the second topic, which is about um, New Year's resolutions and this tradition of New Year's, New Year's resolution um, and also this tradition of starting the New Year. So we started off the show today by talking a little bit about how a new year is 
um, is celebrated within the Ahmadi Muslim community, which is, again, very different from, uh, I dare say, the rest of the world. Um, uh, as we were talking earlier, there was a queue this morning outside the Bayt al Mosque um, in South London um, at 5.45 a.m., not for the compulsory morning prayers, but for the voluntary early, early um, uh, pre-dawn, pre-dawn prayers. prayers yeah. And uh, there, there wasn't enough parking in the, in the huge parking lot that there is behind the mosque. Uh, people, thousands and thousands of people literally came here this morning. Um, they didn't uh, attend any party uh, last night. Um, and the other thing that uh, a lot of um, Ahmadis will be doing, especially the volunteers from a youth association this morning, and we'll be speaking to one of them very shortly, uh, will be cleaning up the streets with uh, from the debris that was actually left by all the party goers last night and and you know l- let me put put a point of it's important to to note this in islam alcohol is forbidden alcohol is forbidden yeah. but the emphasis of cleanliness that they will be picking up empty beer cans that have been left behind by party revelers so the streets can be cleaned that's dedication that is practically living your faith. You are not just talking, you are walking the talk. And that's what the Islam, the revive, the, the, the revival movement of the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Amdi Muslim community, he's reviving the message of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he talked about how everything in the religion will be just lip service. Yeah. It will just be spoken about. Whereas the, 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 the community of the Messiah, the promised Messiah on whom be peace, is not just talk, but action. Because God will judge you based on your actions. You can Your, your character is defined by what you do, not what you say. You spoke of cleanliness, and um, I've read this as well, that uh, in Spain, when Islam was you know on its, at its peak... Um, um, there was uh, at the end. You're talking about the Islamic Renaissance era, or uh, yeah. So the, just before, like Islam started to, like you know, people started to mm-hmm. um, decline away from Islam. Um, I'm not sure who it was, but people, somebody came at, to Spain and they were looking for Muslims. They wanted to finish the Muslims off, and uh, just the one thing I remember is that they asked them how how should we know they are Muslims or not I mean they could just say you know we're not Muslims or how do we find these people and whoever that that general whoever was he said that go to the cleanest places in this country and I can guarantee you 99% they will be Muslim Mm. this is how they were identified and Mm. it's uh, you know we say that Islam is great this and that which religion puts so much emphasis on cleanliness 50% of your faith Cleanliness. I mean, there is uh, cleanliness. There is so many laws about and instructions about marriage, about uh, so so much detail about um, inheritance. It's because these things are important, and we see today why these things are important. Hundred percent. Let's now speak to somebody who is leading this cleanliness drive uh, in a few locations uh, in uh, in Surrey. 
Assalamu alaikum, peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Uh, is that Mr. Luqman Ahmed? Yes, Assalamu alaikum, Alhamdulillah. Wa alaikum assalam, how are you doing this morning? Alhamdulillah, we, uh, we are spiritually uplifted. We had uh, our congregational purchase prayer and bed through earlier today. Um, you know, followed by some nice breakfast, some halwa chane, and then now we are here in uh, uh, on the Hepsom High Street with about uh, 15, 20 of our khuddam, uh, and we are doing a street cleanup. So 15, 20 members from the Youth Association, and you're in Epsom. Um, so is that uh, the only place that you will be uh, cleaning up, or would there be other locations as well this morning? No, so we uh, are doing it as a region, right? So uh, we're part of Tahir region. Um, and, uh, you know, Kingston, New Malden, and uh, uh, all these smaller uh, areas are also part of this region. So we set up three locations. One is in Kingston, one is obviously here in Epsom, uh, and another one I think is in uh, Tolworth or I think maybe New Malden. Sorry, I'm not, yeah, one of those. Uh, are, you, are, are your activities um, in line um, or in support of the local authorities who, who also are always out and about in the morning doing the cleanup? Yeah, so as you can hear, there's a, you know, we're right in the midst of it. You know, there's cars hmm. going by. People can see us. We're wearing, wearing uh, vests, volunteer vests. Um, some of us have, like, you know, the uh, Jamaat banners as well. on the ba- Not the banner, but, like, you know, the sticker on the back of their vests. Um, and what, this one time, actually, I remember last year, um, we were doing the street cleanup, and one uh, lady who works at the local Costa, um, she came running out and started offering us free coffee. And we were quite taken back because normally we, we don't expect anything from uh, the local community. We're just here to serve. But uh, you know, she said, "No, no, no, it's fine. Um, anyone who anyone who wants a free coffee, uh, come along." And um, uh, it was because she had seen us here every year, and she says, "You know, she she knew who we were." Um, you know, and then through that, she was quite impressed and, you know, wanted to get, you know, from her side, wanted to give something back. So, yeah, I mean, it's making an impact. I mean, people uh, are introduced to Islam through this and uh, they know who we are. So, so t- tell me something, uh, Mr. Lukman Ahmed. So, you've been doing this year after year. Um, yeah. And you, this year also, you're doing it in more than one location. Why do you do it? Well, it's part of our faith, right? To right. serve and uh, well, actually, how the, the youth, the, the youth set up in the community, in the Jamaat, um, it was actually set up through, um, you know, serving the local community, and Hazrat Khalifa Masiyasani, the second caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, he set it up with this purpose, you know, to serve, which is khidmat al which is serving humanity, uh, and that's a big department and and, and a, a core department. Uh, in the youth uh, uh, organization and um, it's 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 uh, it's what we do and from locally to regionally to nationally we have many initiatives that you know um, uh, go around the serving humanity aspect of uh, of uh, yeah of this uh, of Islam and uh, of you know this uh, youth uh, community up I think it's so relevant you, you, you mentioned that because the two main characteristics or attributes in Islam is to serving the rights of Allah and the serving the rights of man. Well, absolutely. Yeah, there you go. And, yeah. and uh, you know, and, and what you're doing um, is uh, exactly that, you know, the rights you, you are, you are serving the rights of man and, and showing humanity. And, you know, somewhere I, I, I can't remember where I heard it and I'm sure 
my young imam friend here will will correct me that mm. that uh, you know it, it is said that god might forgive slightly that if you don't fulfill all of his rights but what he will not forgive is if you do not fulfill the rights of man yeah, absolutely, and, yeah. and, and well, that just shows the emphasis, the importance of serving yeah. mankind. Absolutely. Well, if if you look at just today, we actually covered both angles, right? Because all of us, we were in Bait al-Fatu, we were doing Tahajjud, we were doing mm. Fajr, we listened to Das, we fulfilled the rights that we have, you know, towards Allah, Allah, uh, Allah the Almighty, and then now we're here in serving humanity, right? So yeah, Collective, collective... Uh, collective. Yeah. Uh, effort. Uh, so, just for the benefit of the listener, the Hajjah is a pre-dawn prayers, and the Dars is a, is a, is a brief sermon after the prayers, um, yeah. uh, which is given by the Imam to the congregation. Yes. Right. Brilliant, um, uh, Mr. Lukman Ahmed. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, all the best with all the excellent work that uh, that you're doing and uh, your volunteers are doing. Um, may, may Allah bless may, you. Yeah. May Allah reward all your efforts with you and your team. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. All the very best. Peace be on you, brother. So that was uh, Mr. Lukman Ahmed, who heads up a local chapter, uh, who heads up the Epsom chapter of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association and was talking to us about uh, the cleanliness drive that uh, they do on the morning of every new year, cleaning up the streets. And you know, it's, it's also relevant to, to, to mention here that this isn't uh, something which is new. Um, you know, me and brother Daniel have a joke about my age, and and I still remember going back at the three decades that this was happening. But you know, this happens in this happens around the world within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Mm-hmm. This isn't a UK. Uh, 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 yeah, because as you said, this is yeah. part of a faith. This exactly. Is, uh, this is not just a UK thing. You know, this is part of every Ahmadi's faith. This the is... youth association in Germany at the moment are cleaning up streets yeah. in Hamburg, Frankfurt. Correct. You name it, they're doing it in the, in the United States. They're doing it um, in Canada, in Australia, um, in India, in, in you know, you name it. We're in Africa, in 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 Accra, in Kumasi, in in Lagos, anywhere where there is an Ahmadiyya Muslim Association presence, the youth are fulfilling the 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 you know as brother brother Lukman so so rightly said that they attended the pre-dawn prayers. So they are serving the rights of God Almighty. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then they're following it up with serving the rights of man by cleaning up and showing humanity and picking up others' rubbish. They are serving the city. They are serving man. They are cleansing their own souls. And they're, 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 they're allowing for the, for, for, the, for the people of whatever region they're living to to be able to come out on uh, on on the first of the, the the year and and enjoy a clean atmosphere, pavements and streets. How many different factors have they uh, uh, they served within just one exercise? Absolutely. We were also talking earlier about uh, New Year's resolutions. Um, let's now listen into um, uh, to a brief chat we had with Louise Bastock who is an editor at Finder. Um, as Finder's video manager, she is responsible for presenting and producing UK's video content. She has a bachelor's degree in English literature from King's College, London. And she spoke to us earlier about uh, New Year's resolutions. Let's listen in to what she had to say. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. Uh, uh, thank you for doing this interview. 
Louis. Um, so yeah, as you know, we we will be um, talking on one of our segments on the Voice of Islam about uh, New Year's, New Year's resolutions, mm-hmm. and just in general. Uh, yeah. So um, I, I, my first question would be that um, you know what's driving uh, the Brits uh, making New Year's resolutions in 2024 compared to uh, last year. Well, I think we just have to look at the last few years, really. We've been in a period of COVID recovery, a cost of living crisis. Safe to say, I think everyone would agree, it's been a tough time for many people. So we did some research at Finder and we found that 8% more people, um, or there's been an increase of 8% in people wanting to set New Year's resolutions. And I think that's because more people are reflecting on the last few years and wanting to set positive intentions for 2024. Mm-hmm. And how do you explain the reasons for the changing popularity of uh, resolution categories? Um, for example, uh, 4% rise in self-improvement goals uh, in 2024. Our research shows that most people want to prioritize their well-being in 2024. So we saw that health was one of the top categories for New Year's resolutions. Over one in three people wanted to set a health-related New Year's resolution, which I think is great to see. That was quite closely followed by money, family, and self-improvement, as you say. And again, I think that data really speaks to people reflecting on what's happened in the last few years and looking to really go into 2024 in a happy, healthy, and like positive mental headspace. Mm-hmm. What's the goals looking uh, if you if you compare compare them to different age groups? Um, so if you, if you have some older people, younger people, teenagers, uh, what kind mm-hmm. of goals uh, do they have, or what kind of changes has there been from from last year? Mm-hmm. We're really seeing quite a key trend, which is that the younger generations are more likely to set New Year's resolutions. So 97% of Gen Zers want to set New Year's resolutions, which goes all the way down to just 46% of baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Now, most people are looking to set the same types of resolutions so across different age groups. Everyone wants to look at health and happiness and money, things like that. But where we're seeing a few differences are that younger generations, so Gen Zers, millennials, for example, they are more likely to be setting money-related goals in 2024. And this is probably because they're in a different stage of life. So a lot of those Mm -hmm. younger generations, they're looking to hit a financial milestone potentially for the first time, whether that's going to university or saving up for a house deposit, whereas an older generation, they might be looking to retire or they may have more savings at their disposal. So it's likely their goals are going to be more focused on health and lifestyle rather than money, which is what we're seeing for Gen Zs and Millennials. Yes. Do you think that the, I mean, the, the rise in co- uh, the cost of living crisis, you could say as well, um, is, is that uh, a factor, do you believe, in, in people maybe choosing more financial-related re- uh, resolutions? Yes, I I definitely think it plays a huge part. Um, Money came in as the second most popular category for setting New Year's resolutions. So 29% of people from our research 
said they would set a money-based news resolution. So you can't help but reflect at the beginning of the year on, on things you want to sort of improve and work on in your life. So it's no doubt that the cost of living crisis has had an impact on that for people. Mm -hmm. Do you have any statistics on how many people complete their resolution or uh, they, they I mean, stick to it and uh, if, if how many um, kind of drop it during the year? Well, I think we've all been guilty of that, haven't we, of setting quite ambitious New Year's <laughs> resolutions at the beginning of the year and then not quite seeing them through to the end of the year. Yeah, definitely. What I would, definitely, yeah. I mean, it, it's just natural. It's, you know, part of being human, I guess, and the optimism of January. But what I would recommend to people is to set very small, sustainable goals, things mm -hmm. that are really achievable, things that you can track easily as well. And... That way you're going to get to the end of 2024 and feel a real sense of achievement. I don't think you have to really, you know, go crazy this year. Like, we can we can be kind to ourselves and set reasonable um, but achievable and slightly ambitious goals. Yes, true. Um, do you think that, um, I mean, what what is the importance of this? Uh, there's so many people, they don't... They they don't have this uh, you know this this trend you can say to to have a New Year's resolution. They say I mean you know I I just I'm just trying to improve generally. Uh, but mm -hmm. for for such people, what advice or what kind of uh, importance can you set forward for them that uh, why it's important to have a resolution and what kind of effect it will have uh, on on the coming year. Well, New Year's resolutions are obviously very individual things and, you know, not everybody finds them particularly helpful. From our research, we've seen that older generations are less likely to set a New Year's resolution and that might speak to the fact that they're more realistic about actually um, achieving their New Year's resolutions. As, as we've just said, you know, many of us don't end up achieving them. Um, so I really think it's a personal thing. When we think about money goals and our financial wellness, I think about budgeting or setting money uh, goals for yourself. It's really about taking things in small, sustainable steps. So whether you want to set a New Year's resolution or not, most of us will have goals for 2024. And I think that's where, why not start in January, start very positive and with a strong intention, write them down, give them a deadline and think that's the best way to see something through. Mm -hmm. And do you think it's, uh, it's sometimes too late to start a New Year's resolution? I mean, if somebody in a few weeks and they think, oh, you know, it's, it's too late, just forget it. What should they do? Never. You're never too late to set a goal or set a New Year's resolution. As I say, they're very individual things. So it's really up to you when you want to have a deadline or when you want to get started. I think it's really about getting clear on what you want and setting a plan in action. So even if it's February, it's March, and you're like, actually, I've thought something I want to do. That's not too late. Just get started then and do the same thing you would in January, but it's just a few months later. Mm -hmm. And uh, lastly, what, do you have any statistics on uh, faith-based um, resolutions? We don't know. That is not something we have covered in our research, but that's definitely be something we would want to look at going forward. I think that could be really interesting. Um, what we have seen, as I say, is people prioritizing their lifestyle, their, their health, their money, family, self-improvement. And I think one of the interesting stats we've seen is that career goals is actually pretty low on people's agenda for 2024. <laughs> 
That is very interesting, actually. Uh, yes, so, uh, but thank you very much. Uh, last uh, one more, maybe one more, just a personal question if you want to answer. Uh, what kind of New Year's uh, resolutions will you be making this New Year? Oh, such an interesting question. So I was really lucky to be able to buy my first flat last year. So a huge resolution for me is to build back my emergency fund after spending all that money. Um, and then if there's room in the budget, I'd really like to travel. That's a really nice one. Uh, I, li- I like traveling a lot as well. I uh, don't travel much, but uh, I think maybe this this one, uh, I might have to copy this one from you. I'll try to travel a bit more in 2021. <laughs> Nice. I think it's a lovely resolution to have. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Miss Lewis Bayswood. It was a pleasure speaking to you and thank you for the, for the interview as well and uh, really appreciate your time. So that was uh, my colleague here, uh, Imam Aswan Manan, talking uh, to um, our guest, Louise, who, um, Louise Bastock, who um, works at, who's an editor at Finder about New Year's, uh, Year's resolutions as well as UK's um, uh, uh, demographics and uh, looking beyond statistical trends uh, as well into 2024. Uh, gentlemen, if I can come to both of you, um, how do you uh, celebrate your New Year's and how do you make, uh, if you do at all, New Year's resolutions? <laughs> um I think uh, <clears throat> what you've been explaining for the past two hours with uh, within the Abdi Muslim community, uh, it isn't about resolutions. It isn't about partying. It isn't about uh, bringing the new year in supposed festivities. It is about uh, looking at what the world, what is happening in the world. It is about, uh, it is a time for self-reflection. It is a time to see, well, hold on, what is it that I have done over the past year, which has benefited mankind, humanity, have I, as an individual, uh, fulfilled my requirement of serving God Almighty? Have I been pleasing God Almighty? Um, Have I been addressing my shortcomings? You know, self-reflection is what the true uh, nature of what the resolution should be. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying people don't have that because everyone says, well, so-and-so is going to give up smoking or they're going to stop eating or they're going to go to the gym or they're going to they're going to do this that and the other but you know during the break what were we talking about that look the the problem is that there isn't any deeper uh, uh, thinking that goes on to these resolutions they are very uh, at the moment on the moment on the spot resolutions they come they come to when they they they're inebriated with alcohol and and uh, it's like, well, I'm going to do this from tomorrow, and tomorrow never comes. Mm. Um, and <laughs> you know, the, comes. And, and you know, resolutions last mm. for 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 maybe a day or so. It's and like then the guy it who goes said, um, to, "I leave uh, smoking every day. I quit smoking it. every day." Exactly. <laughs> you know, there you go. And uh, um, it's it is a time. It, it is a time for of 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 reflection, and that's what the Muslims within the Amli Muslim community uh, have been doing um, by by starting the year. Uh, by seeking forgiveness from God Almighty for what we, uh, but me, what me, what, what we have been doing, uh, for asking forgiveness for our shortcomings, um, and 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 pleading to God Almighty as His Holiness has instructed, uh, you know, prostrating uh, for 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 mercy for the Palestinians, and and to to stop the oppressors uh, uh, from 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 uh, you know, afflicting more cruelty. Uh, on on the poor innocent people of Palestine. 
Yeah, I think more than celebration, it's uh, again, it's, it's less of a celebration. Not just just because of that, but also because of um, I'm I'm just generally against these, these New Year's fireworks. Mm. I, I think agree. it's such a, a waste of money. It's I think a few they spent pounds gone. just in London. They spent two million pounds on on this on the whole show. Yeah, mm. two million pounds on on a half an hour show with so many homeless people around in yep. in London as well yeah like, just think they, about they, that I mean they've been trying to extend the ULEZ and everything because of pollution what, what is this doing yes mm. <laughs> that's such a that's a fantastic point that hold on you've extended ULEZ because there's too much pollution and you've, outside and London. you've spent two million pound on on uh, spreading pollution on on, <laughs> on, <laughs> on spreading pollution. yes on you know <laughs> Yeah, it, it's uh, it's crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, I mean it's it's all upside down again. You know, going back to the point that we were making earlier, what are we celebrating? Especially this year, you know, there's so much to reflect on. There's so much to be somber about. Uh, we don't want to be sad. We we want to remain hopeful and optimistic, but we've got to reflect. Uh, and I I think there's there's way little to to be parting about. Mm. I, I agree. I, I think from my if if one was to. Uh, address the question at hand. What's my resolution? I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop talking about Palestine. I urge people not to stop talking about Palestine. Um, I urge people to raise your voice um, and tell everyone, um, and and raise your voice with your respective um, uh, leaders, be it uh, uh, local, regional, national. Uh, members of parliament, of council, of your uh, disagreement to being part of a genocide, your disagreement that you do not wish to be part of injustice, inhumanity, you do not wish to be part of apartheid, you do not wish to, uh, uh, to support the killing of children, you do not wish the support of killing of women, journalists, doctors, nurses, um, you do not wish um, to have your name written on the wrong side of history. You do not wish for any of this. Um, and that is my resolution. I will be speaking about it loudly, clearly. And I can do nothing for the Palestinians. I, um, you know, we, we spoke about this. I've, I wear, I've been wearing a kafia for 27 years and what annoys me, what saddens me is that for 27 years, nobody said a word. And now when people look at this around my neck and they talk about it, ooh, Hamas. And I think how ignorant. And what's become relevant to me is that the so-called developed, intelligent, highly moral, Western developed world that I am part and parcel of, my government, I'm born and bred Londoner. What my country has shown me is I am second class. I'm going to speak up about that. I am not second class. I am born here. I bred here. I pay my taxes here. I contribute to the building of the society that we live in where my children will grow up. I will speak up when I see injustice and inhumanity because I will not allow for it to happen in my name. It is wrong. Cancel culture mainstream media determining what I think no there is no mainstream media it's it's mouthpieces of propaganda the people who stand up for truth are, are they're trying to shut them down when the UN 
is 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 referred to as anti-Semitic because they're saying do a ceasefire. Really, are people that naive that they will blindly follow this narrative? Let's take heed. Let's listen to what the the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, has been saying again and again and again. Let's be human beings. Let's be human beings. Show justice and humanity. And that it what is my resolution from now till I see some ceasefire. You know, be it on social media, be it on Twitter, be it on LinkedIn, be it with, with, with my local political uh, governors or whatever, or, or I will show my voice in the elections that will come and I will hope that people who have uh, people will will walk the talk and they will refuse to represent they will refuse to be represented by people who stand up for apartheid genocide ethnic cleansing and inhumane and unjust crimes against humanity thank you very much uh, for that uh, brother Kiyum that was um uh, very moving indeed um, and may God help you with all your endeavors uh, let's now listen to uh, the fifth and the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad a very short clip on how to celebrate the new year let's listen in mutual new year greetings would only be beneficial when we reflect to see how much we fulfilled our obligations of being an Ahmadi last year and how much we will try to do in the new year to come. It is obvious that with the task we are expected to do as Ahmadis can only be done through piety and virtue. However, the question is, what should our level of piety and virtue actually be? It should be clear to everyone who joins Ahmadiyyat or in, is indeed an Ahmadi that the Promised Messiah salam, asserting these levels for us and now, with all the resources and technology available, every Ahmadi pledges at least once a year at the hand of the Khalifa of the time to make his or her best efforts to attain the levels as explained by the Promised Messiah. Indeed, the expected levels of Ahmadis has been explained in the conditions of birth. If true happiness is to be commemorated at the start of a new year, these responsibilities should be kept in view. It is not sufficient to be delighted at having accepted the matter of death of Jesus, or to have accepted the one who was promised to come. Indeed, that is the first step, but the promised Messiah explained to us that we need to have an in-depth understanding of piety and virtue, and to practice it, and to avoid sin, as one avoids bloodthirsty beasts. Then alone will we be able to bring about a revolutionary change in ourselves, and also become a source to change the world, bring it closer to God. So that was the guidance um, given uh, to Ahmadis on how to celebrate New Year's. That uh, was not a clip uh, from Hazrat Mr. Masoor Ahmad, as I mentioned earlier. We are coming towards uh, the end of the show. These, the other very important element, Imam Usman, uh, within an, uh, the life of uh, an Ahmadi Muslim is financial sacrifice. Do you want to spend a few seconds talking about that? Yes, just lastly, um, financial sacrifice is very important because, I mean, this world does run on money, even though we don't, 
worship money like many people in the world but the point is that um you should do sacri- uh, financial sacrifice and uh, maybe this can be one of the new resolutions for someone who is uh, not sure what to do this year thank you very much uh, gentlemen for joining us